Psalms 89, 1-8 says, I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you have established your faithfulness in heaven itself. You said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm through all generations. The heavens praise your wonders, Lord, your faithfulness too in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies above can compare with the Lord? Who is like the Lord among the heaven beings? In the counsel of the Holy One God is greatly feared. He is more awesome than all who surround him. Who is like you, Lord God Almighty? You, Lord, are mighty, and your faithfulness surrounds you. If you guys will stand and worship with us. to 
Pleasure to see you guys this morning as we uh, go into part two now of our series on Ephesians. And um, yeah, thank you, Will, for, for the announcements there. And um, just to kind of piggyback, we had a group this morning, a group this past Wednesdays, we're kind of recasting, you know, vision and mission. If, um, it's almost like, I, I know, I, I tend to be a nerd, okay, I, I, I know I am, but if you have questions like, what is church? Like, what is church supposed to be about? Like, what is, not just this church, but like the churches down the street. Like, that's just kind of the questions we're trying to answer. You know, just really looking at um, the core of the things that Christ taught, trying to reduce it to the most simplistic, you know, explanation we can find. And then we're getting, you know, this church that's been in the city for over 150 years and saying, we want to see another 150 years. So how can we ensure that we're aimed towards the very things that Christ has called us to do. And so there's kind of like a, you know, if you want to learn the Bible and want to grow in knowledge of those things, uh, it's a great time to do that. But knowledge, as we'll see this morning, is only useful if it alters our lives, if it alters the course of this church, if it alters um, uh, our, our plans, right? Uh, and so really encourage you guys to make it out. It's a really good time. We had a great time this morning. And we're going to dive into our sermon now, this morning, from the book of Ephesians. If you have a Bible, please turn to uh, Ephesians. If you have the red Bibles in front of you, it's page uh, 1156 is where we're going to be at. Um, Today's sermon is kind of like part two from last week. It is uh, really a long prayer from Paul. Uh, It's the, the, the primary thing this morning is knowing God. Knowing God uh, and his hope that we can find in him and his power uh, is things that we maybe don't pray enough for. Uh, Paul is actually praying for the churches that receive this letter. And it's a challenge we read through these verses coming up. Like, do we pray for these things? Like Paul, I mean, if he's praying for these things, there's like an implicit command there. Like, are you praying for these things? Right? Um, the danger of today's sermon as we talk about knowing God is that we can accidentally hear this sermon as uh, a command to, to learn more about God, but I'm not preaching about this. this, this, this these verses are not about learning about God. They are rather about knowing God. Knowing about God would be like trying to learn about him from his Wikipedia page, right? You will learn a lot of interesting data about God and would say, huh, interesting. And then you would click to the next distracting Wikipedia page and just keep scrolling through Wikipedia pages. Anybody else do that? Is it just me? Oh, I don't know. Okay, well, that's what happens. Um, In our current age of technology, uh, we really know about a lot of things that are utterly useless to know about. Like utterly useless is just more trivial and entertaining than anything else. But we have access to the, the, the most knowledge in human history, which I'm arguing most of it is just for you know, uh, kicks and giggles, right? Like, ah, ha, ha, that's silly. That's, that's interesting. But they don't really add any kind of value. I was watching um, the, uh, I don't know what it was. An advertisement popped up. I know, I couldn't find it the second time. I know it was real. <laughs> it was uh, Morgan Freeman, like some kind of new show he's doing on History Channel. And um, it was him just asking all these questions of like things, you know, and his question he asked in this uh, video was, um, when did we start using 
forks, right? And he's in this restaurant and the waitress responds during the Byzantine era. And he's like, whoa. And it's like, if you want to learn more about, you know, the curious things you want to know about, please tune in to hear his voice tell you about forks. Um, Such knowledge is entertaining, right? Maybe it scratches a little itch of our curiosity, but knowing about the history of forks will not alter your life's trajectory, okay? It doesn't alter the plans of your day, okay? That there is no way to tell your story that says, you know, I used to not know about the history of forks, but I learned. And then after, like we don't, that doesn't happen, right? Substitutes, whatever other useless things we often click about. Okay, that, that's knowing about things. We're not talking. And it's funny because we can do that as Christians, though, is start reading the Bible. We just jam our head full of stuff about God, but our lives remain unaltered and unchanged. And Paul is, is pleading, praying to God for this church that they don't fall into that trap. He's saying, I don't want you to know about God and about his power or about, I want you to know God. And that is his plea this morning. Uh, There's a wonderful quote I ran um, by this week from Charles Spurgeon. He was a famous preacher from the uh, 19th century in London. I want you to listen to this. Like, I'm going to read this slowly. It's covered in 1800s, you know, language. I get it. But listen to this because this is, how we can best describe like knowing God. I want you to listen to it because I, I, it's, it's the flowery poetic nature of his, verse, his words here I think are kind of justified because such a topic demands some kind of elaborate imagery to capture what we're talking about by knowing God. Take a listen to this from Charles Spurgeon. There is something exceedingly improving to the mind and a complementation contemplation of God. It is a subject so vast that all of our thoughts are lost in its immensity, so deep that our pride is drowned in its infinity. Other subjects we can compass and grapple with. In them we feel kind of a self-content and we go our way with the thought, behold, I am wise. But when it comes to this master science, Finding that our plumb line cannot sound its depth and that our eagle eye cannot see its height. We turn away with the thought that vain man would be wise, but he is like a dumb colt. And with solemn exclamation, I am but of yesterday and know nothing. No subject of contemplation will tend more to humble the mind and thoughts of humanity than that of God. And it's like four times the length he keeps going, right? It's a humbling topic when we talk about knowing God. So Paul's prayer this morning is not that she would know more about God, that she would study more books and learn the right vocabulary and words, but as a prayer saying, do you know him? So let us proceed here in verse 15 in chapter 1 of Ephesians. This is the word of the Lord. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may what? 
Know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every title that can be given, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this time we've had of worship. Lord, of time together as, as your body, Lord, as Christians here. And Lord, as we pray, uh, continue forward in our, in our time of worship as we uh, look at your word. The next few minutes, you would allow our hearts to be soft and fertile land, Lord, for your seeds of your word to take root and to grow in our lives. Lord, anything that may be present now that would uh, uh, have built walls of resistance to, to push your word away. Lord, we ask that we would uh, be aware of those things. Even now, if there's sin that we just need to come clean about to you, Lord, if there's anything plugging our ears, Lord, that we have not, uh, we have stuffed in there that may block out your, your voice, Lord, I pray through your spirit, would you remove those things? And may we take heed to your word this morning. I pray that anything I say may be representative of your word, the things that may be uh, not, Lord, uh, help us to be aware of that, Lord, and listen to you and to not uh, me. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. So these first few verses, 15 through 17, is a prayer to know God. And uh, uh, in recollection of the previous 14 verses, which was last week's sermon, we it was a crazy jam-packed uh, 14 verses, and Paul kind of begins saying, so for this reason, and it's like, which one? You had like 30 reasons, Paul, but it's almost like, because of this grand story of God working in human history and in the universe and how he's thought through, you know, you and knowing you before the ages began, because of all of those reasons, because of that reason, um, he says, I, I, I pray for you. I keep asking, he says, that all these things that the Spirit may cultivate within you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. There's that word, if you remember last week, uh, which means an uncovering. It means kind of pulling back the curtain, seeing what's really there. Like that we would have uh, the spirit of wisdom and revelation that may be given to us to know him better. Elsewhere, Paul prays similar things for his churches, but the the summary is that he desires that wisdom be provided to us, uh, to our spirits that are reading his letter, and of that revelation. So my question is this, like when in praying for someone else, it's a challenge for me, pastorally speaking, right? Like, do I sit and pray like, God, would you show Emmanuel Church more of your wisdom in a deeper revelation that we may know you better, that we may know you more. When's the last time those, you, you prayed for somebody like that before? 
right? Those of us with, with children in this room or, or grandkids, like do you pray that kind of prayer for your children, your grandchildren, for your spouse, for your friends, for your family. Like that's a beautiful prayer, right? And sometimes like we pray those kind of, you know, non, it's, it's kind of non-specific. You know, we, we often come with prayer requests. I'm sick, my, my brother's sick, or we have legit needs that we should be praying for. But something kind of this big sometimes can kind of fall flat. If you're sitting in a prayer meeting, you know, and people are praying this way, sometimes it can call, fall kind of flat. Where you're like, yeah, but there's nothing, we need something specific. And, but I, I challenge you, like, no, 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 like, Pray for this church that he may reveal to all of us a deeper revelation of him that we may all know him better. Church, pray for that for one another on the regular, like every day. That is a wonderful and beautiful prayer that should be flowing from our lips constantly, right? Um, but that word knowing, I want to take a minute and to talk about that. Uh, there's biblical imagery that comes behind that word knowing, and we have to use the example of marriage if we're to be true to what the scriptures in the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures especially, uh, use it. So my wife, Alexandra, I know her. Many of you know her as well. Some people um, in, our, in her life, they know of her through a friend that maybe knows her. And this may be a silly example, but, you know, it's, it's useful. My daughter has a parakeet. I think the parakeet recognizes my wife. This knows my wife. Okay. My whole point is different levels of knowing, right? Now, in each of those relationships in Alexandra's life, uh, many people, including the parakeet, may be able to claim, I know Alexandra. But from the position of, of me, 13 years into our marriage, having six children and seeing her in her, you know, in their good days and bad, in the moments of celebration, in the moments of trial, uh, in those intimate ways that only spouses can possibly know one another when we experience life together. When I say I know Alexandra, it's a little bit of a deeper knowledge that comes with that knowing. And even more so if God says he knows us, right? Think of the vastness of his knowledge of us that we that no human could possibly comprehend or even compare to knowledge of one another like god knows you more than you could ever possibly fathom um this this illustration that i'm i'm speaking of knowing is how the old testament speaks of the knowing god it's not just knowing of him it's a intimate word that's actually used of the marriage relationship in jeremiah 9 verse 6 god says this of israel he says his people don't know him if they refuse to know him and it's not like the data that don't know about god he's saying they don't they don't know me anymore like they're so distant from me that they forgot they don't even know who i am any more. And this is they refused to know him, right? That word is yada, and it's all throughout the Hebrew scriptures in reference to the intimacy of marriage in a relationship. It is knowledge of someone that runs deep, deep into every corner that permeates the heart. And so Paul's question and prayer this morning for this church and for us, our challenge is, can you say that about Jesus, do you know him in that way? Yes, there's tens of thousands of books at our disposal to learn a lot about him, but we're not asking that question. Paul isn't praying to know about him. The question is continually in front of us. Do you know Jesus this morning? 
In Christ is stored up all secrets of hidden treasures and wisdom. But there is more to know. This is a process in our lives that never stops. We must stay hungry. This is why Paul's praying this. Like, it's a hunger that should always be happening in our lives. We can't uh, ever stuff it down, and, and we have to be careful to never mute the desire to know God because the reality is, and maybe you've had this, if you've been walking with Jesus, if you're a Christian for some time, and you've had that time when you're maybe praying, or you're in life, and there's some special season that happens, or special event that happens where you're just like, oh, this is who God is? I've never seen this of him before. This is, I can't believe how amazing he is. And once you learn something more and you experience him in a deeper way, you say, I need more of this. I need more of him in my life, even more than I ever have known before. This often happens when we are at our wit's end. This often happens when there's nothing left to lean on to. And we say, wow, I really can't do this. Like, I can't do this on my own. I don't have the strength or the ability to do this. This is completely outside of my hands. And usually that's when we, when we cast our faith and our hope on God, we experience him in such a deep and profound way because that's the faith that the scripture talks about, that the, 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 the other leniency on God that exposes him and his grace and mercy and power and strength in our life in ways that we kind of try to self-deceive and think we can kind of do this on our own, but we can just add a little bit of God, a little bit of God here, or a little bit of Jesus here, that we, we're not pulling all of him into our lives, only some of him when it's convenient to, while we still cling to the cords of power in the rest of our lives. But when he rips those cords of, of control out of our hands is when you'll experience him in a profound way. Church, I'm asking you, don't let it get to that point. You don't have to be brought to wit's end before you learn that about God because it's available to you even now. It's an invitation to say, don't let him bring you to a rock bottom. He, he will. Like, I, I will testify, if you push him out of your life long enough, he will get all of you. And it may hurt, but it doesn't have to right now. If he's chasing after and you know it, stop running, church. He wants you to know him, and he's available to you now. So the question is like, do you have daily habits of knowing him? Do the rhythms in your life, morning, lunch, night, these rhythms, are, are they one that cultivates knowing God in your life? I may have shared this story before, but when I was working at um, uh, a bakery um, uh, in college, Panera Bread, geez, and um, uh, I was a supervisor there working and whatever, and... I would have little like minutes of water breaks over the hot, you know, kitchen. And those of us have worked restaurant kitchen work, we know what that's like in the middle of the summer. This is in Georgia too, so it's only amplified. So you, you break outside and breathe. And I remember those times when I would just have a cup of water sitting on the curb next to this busy highway, and I would just have that refreshing water after being just soaked to sweat, cooking all this food for hours on end, and just think like. 
this is so refreshing. It reminds me of that living water that Isaiah spoke of God being and how Jesus even spoke of himself as that living water. And I was like, yes, you are my living water. And that gap of time was like three minutes. But you know how profound those moments were for me? You know, a decade plus later, like I'm still remembering the freshness of those moments. Like we're not talking about complex two hours on your knees, which may have a place in our life. It's just little things like that that if peppered throughout your day, the, the whole kind of compass of your life slowly keeps being aimed at our Lord. And that's when our lives begin experiencing that transformation, when the closeness and the rhythms of your life are aimed towards him. And those are the questions I have for you. We'll talk more about that later on. As we know God more deeply, says Paul, as we cultivate those rhythms and we, 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 we seek to know him more deeply, our hope is cultivated into, he says, three hopes. We learn of our hope of our calling, of God's inheritance, which is an interesting thing we'll see, and hope of knowing his great power. Let's uh, proceed on verses 18 through 19. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order to know that, uh, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Beginning of verse 19 there. The eyes of our heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. What has he called us to? What is that hope? Um, Romans 5, 2 speaks of the hope of the glory of God. The hope of sharing in that glory when in that day we are presented before God, pure, resurrected, and holy and complete before him. Life in God is the calling we have now and in the age to come. It's something we are to participate in now and something we will experience fully on the day when he returns. Life in God is cultivated like a seedling in a garden bed. Uh, You water it, care for it, give attention to it, you direct its growth. It's funny, Lydia has a, a marigold in her room right now that was this little like, you know, this big, and it was just, I don't know. Now it's just awkward, really funny. How tall is it, Lydia? It's like, it's like three feet tall now, and this little bitty flower just popped up, and it's kind of hilarious. But she's been cultivating this little seed for like, I don't know how many months now, and it's just this, this growing little flower popped up, and it's great. But that's the idea. Like, we have to constantly cultivate this calling we have in God, and then it will provide growth. Eventually, that little flower will pop up in our lives, right? And he's, he, he's, he's chasing after us for this co-work and this, our, our walk with him to be uh, uh, taking place on a daily, hourly, even basis. Knowing the hope to which he called you is not only sitting in your house and praying and reading scripture. Jesus didn't just sit and, uh, you know, pray all day, right? He spent some days in prayer, but what was he doing? He was out. He was brushing shoulders with people, the, the weak, the homeless, the prostitutes, the ones who were just utterly beaten down by society, the rejected, the lepers, and he was brushing shoulders with all of them and even giving hugs to the lepers when society said, you don't hug the lepers, man, you can't do that. And he's like, they haven't hugged anybody in who, in who knows how long. They need a hug, right? And Mark, it says, he didn't just speak healing over the lepers. He went and he touched the lepers, right? He was out with them. This is what our calling is. We, we cultivate our love for God in order that it may bring us out 
into this world to be his ambassadors. That is the hope of our calling. It's more than just attending church events and more than just cultivating emotions towards God. All those things are important, right? But if our end is being presented mature and complete in Christ, that he gets all of you in the end, then a request from him now is to get all of you today. That's the hope of our calling. All of you, head to toe, heart and soul, mind and strength, he wants to receive all of you. And that's a great transition to the next part. It says um, of this future hope that we learn about as we're cultivating this of knowing him better. What do you learn about? The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. I, I don't think I've ever like actually came across this. I spent some time here like trying to grasp this because that's very flowery sounding. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. What is he talking about here? This is speaking of you. This is a really cool idea, actually. You're God's inheritance. You say, that's a, you know, the Bible does say a lot about, you know, us receiving God as our inheritance, but look, the riches of his glorious inheritance. Who is his? God, in context here. God's inheritance in the saints, in you. So God receives us as an inheritance? I was, I was trying to work through this. This is an interesting idea. And how do we learn about this? As we're learning to cultivate a, a, a deeper uh, knowledge, knowing God. How do we learn of this? Well, when we become a Christian, he does indeed now receive us, but we know that we're all still broken. We're all still imperfect, right? Uh, the Spirit of God is actively working now in our lives to flush out all that ickiness and, and dirtiness and codependencies on things that aren't God, and He's trying to flush out all of our dependencies on self and all these things. But when we're imperfect, and He, he is never really perfectly receiving all of us as long as we're alive on this earth, but we know that He will when He returns to renew this world. Jesus is returning to once and for all to cast out all of sin and death and evil from this world and to raise us to newness of life where those things are also perfectly cast out of us. And then when we stand before God mature and complete in him because of all that Jesus has done, because of the gospel, his life, his death, his resurrection and ascension back to heaven, having finally experienced the fullness of the transformation that the Spirit of God is working in you now, God receives us whole. And Paul, and this, how did Paul refer to God in this portion? He says, our glorious Father. As we said last week, God's our daddy. And our daddy finally will receive you whole incomplete. As a father with children, um, as they get older, I, I see some of the, you know, the fallenness of all of our flesh. It just rises. I, I know that they'll have a life just like I have, just like you have, of, of bad decisions and good ones. And sometimes those bad decisions bring harm on us. And, you know, I think when I was a teenager and stuff that I did and my parents, you know, and I think, though, you know, what do they care? And their hearts were broken. I made my stupid decisions, right? As every parent's heart is. You think that God doesn't share the same brokenness when he sees us, you know, flounder and trip and fall? And do you think he's not looking forward to the day when those things are 
gone out of your life forever and ever? And that all of his children were before him complete and whole? And he says, yes, they're whole. They're joyful. They're, they're, they're now satisfied in me. Now they're complete. There's no more seeing them just broken anymore. I get to get my children whole in that day. That is his hope, friends. That's a beautiful heart of a father that the scriptures long for. And you get to know that heart of God when you grow in knowing him. Yes, you are his inheritance. It's a beautiful thing. And it continues on. That we may know the hope of his incomparably great power for us who believe. What power he proceeds to tell us. This is stuff gets a little, little crazy for the last few minutes we have this morning. Um, all of this talk of, you know, our future and our calling and God's work in our life today. Um, uh, we're, we're toying with spiritual truths that are so big, I guarantee you, way bigger than we can ever see, literally see, or ever actually know, right? Without just reading about it and kind of, one day we'll know, one day we'll see the grandness of things. And sometimes in Scripture, people get glimpses of the grandness of things, right? But most people, we don't realize this, you know, Jacob has this big ladder from heaven and, you know, there's some scriptural, you know, prophets and men and women saw some of those things. Most did not. Like, if you were to gather all the people that saw these grand and glorious visions of heaven and the resurrected Jesus knocking people off horses, like, surely not a whole lot of people, right? I've never seen a ladder come down to heaven and plop in front of me like Jacob, right? Um, most of us, we read these stories and we say, all right, those things are real. Like we, but we haven't seen those things and many of us probably never will. And so when we read verses like we're about to read, we have to do some like digging and say, wow, okay, so the, spirit, think the spiritual things are just, this is crazy. Like it's a little crazy out there, right? Um, I want to read these verses coming up. Uh, in 19, that last half of 19 to 23, it says this, that power that we are to know and to hope, right, uh, in, as we learn and we grow in deeper knowledge of God, knowing God, that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every title that can be given, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Let's remind ourselves of the core of the Christian message as a dead man was dead for three days and came back to life. Sometimes I think we might forget just how crazy that story really is. Christ died, not for a few hours, not for a day. For three nights, he was buried. For three days, he was buried. His body was buried. He was piled high with hundreds of pounds of spices wrapped in his burial shroud. People saw him die. And we know this story can't be made up because the Romans, they were, we talked about this before, they were professionals at crucifying people. They did it by the thousands. They don't make mistakes when they're killing people, right? We know that they did it for a living, 
literally these guys, right? In Mark, we're even told that a Roman soldier stabbed Jesus in the side with a spear to make sure he was dead and no movement or anything took place because Jesus was dead. So knowing these professional executors, they don't screw up their job. It would have been an utterly unbelievable story and claim to say a crucified man came back to life. He was God in the flesh and he's alive. You don't make up that story, friends. This is a wild claim. What power is required to raise someone from the dead? It's been the ever sought for power since the beginning of time. It's caught the minds and imaginations of humans for as long as we can possibly know. It's a power that we we don't have in our flesh, right? It is not naturally found in this world. But our Lord was raised by the power of God, and he was raised even further into the heavenly realms. He ascended in his resurrected state, And he sat down at the right hand of God, our glorious Father. This throne he sat in is a throne above every name, every power, every authority, and every dominion. No title can compare to the title that the Son of God has now. He is king of all, and he will be king for all. We don't have time to dive into it in detail today, but... These are not just earthly powers, you know, presidents and kings on earth. Spend some time investigating into the Bible. You'll read about things called God has a divine council that surrounds him of heavily powerful beings. Say divine council? What? We see wars and battles between angels in the book of Daniel. We see uh, little g gods mentioned that are both in heaven and cast out of heaven in the Hebrew Bible. As we think about earthly authorities and ranks between who is in charge here on earth, local governments and states and nationals, there are spiritual, also hierarchies of authorities, of angels, and within the angels, there's ranks of angels, and it gets crazy. This is a little obscure in the scriptures. We don't get a ton of detail here, but there's a lot going on in the spiritual realm. There's a lot of powerful spiritual beings out there And this portion of Scripture says, yeah, but Jesus, when he rose from the dead and ascended to heaven, he's above all of them. He is above all of them. And the most amazing thing is, the power that rose him from the dead and the power he has is now given to his people and now dwells within us. And then in the way we share in his power how the Bible talks. These are amazing truths, and you only have scratched the surface, friends, I guarantee you. You've only scratched the surface in your walk with God to know about this power, because it is immense. There's nothing on earth that can compare to it, and he is, it is within us and uh, in the person next to you. And so together, church, Paul is asking and praying for the early churches here, and for us, we may know this power because it's available to us even today. Yes, God has placed everything beneath the feet of Jesus. The imagery of Jesus sitting down and his feet are on top of everything. And he's head of the church. And in him um, and in us, we find his fullness. He is our head. We are his body. 
And in his body is found his fullness, which fills all in all. As we close here, the goal of these things is to stir hope within us. And it is my hope that this church, the things we value, the things that we are building even now, cannot just teach about these things, but things like his power can be made manifest among us here as a congregation. That this hope that we have in Christ becomes visible in how we love one another and the Spirit's power becomes visible and made manifest among us because to know God is to cultivate hope. And hope in God through the good news of Jesus begins altering the course of our lives continually. It begins changing the trajectory of things in a way different than just knowledge of the history of Forks, as we said at the beginning. I want to close here with a couple of things, with a brief autobiographical kind of statement from Paul that's found in the book of Philippians. Because the truth is this, knowing God and his power in Christ does a lot of things. But it should show us immediately that nothing else compares to this. That everything else that we think we have is nothing in comparison to knowing God. It's almost like, you know, you have, I don't know, uh, um, uh, fake gold coins, and you hold a real gold coin. You're like, oh, this is just, there's, there's no value, and that's all pretend stuff. Like, here's the real thing, right? This is, this is kind of what happens when we know God. We realize, like, the things that I thought were valuable or the things that I thought were very meaningful in and of themselves, they're nothing in comparison to what I found in God. Like, nothing compares to knowing him. Listen to Paul's words in this, okay? And he gives his little life kind of story of his accolades in life. Listen to this. He says, this is found in the book of Philippians. He says, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, confidence in his own achievements, confidence in who he is and what he's achieved in his, in his earthly life, he says, I have more than you. He says, I was circumcised in the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law. I was a Pharisee as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss. Why? Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Why? that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. As we close, Christianity is so much more than just saying a prayer and going to heaven when we die. It is so much more than just having certain new moral values and convictions and, you know, doing the, the right and good things. It is an invitation to an entirely new way of life in which you see now that everything you thought that was dear in life is now counted as worthy of loss for the sake of knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection. Some practical applications here. Call the worship team up. Um, it's going to lead us in a, in a closing song. How do we know God? Like, 
big stuff. We're talking about, you know, big statements, feet in the ground, rubber meets the road. What are some basic things we can talk about here of knowing God? There's a fantastic book. If you haven't read it, I probably have a couple copies of it. Take it, borrow it, keep it. Um, called Practicing the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. I'm sure some of you have probably read it. Christian classic. Um, I'm going to quote from him just a couple of times here in our closing because he has some really great just practical counsel for us that's achievable by any one of us of how do we know God more? Like how do we, how do, we do this? I want to know the power of his resurrection. Yes, I want to know the power of my salvation. Like how do we cultivate these things in our life? This is what Brother Lawrence will have to say. You just need to train yourself to have a constant just awareness of his presence just with you every minute of the day. Simple as that. This is what he says. Brother Lawrence says this. He does not ask much of us, merely a thought of him from time to time, a little act of adoration, sometimes to ask for his grace one part of our day, sometimes to offer him your sufferings at others, and other times to thank him for his graces, past and present, he has bestowed on you. In the midst of your troubles, to take solace in him as often as you can. Lift up your heart to him during your meals and within your company. The least little remembrance throughout your day will always be the most pleasing to him. One need not cry out very loudly because he's nearer to us than we think. What is he saying? All throughout your day, breakfast, your work hours, your lunch break, middle of your day? Are your thoughts being filtered through? Oh, he loves me. Oh, his spirit's with me. The God of the universe and the the son that he sent and he rose to heaven, sent his spirit. He dwells in me and he loves me and he's with me now. And his love is even, his power is with me now. Thank you. How often throughout your day those thoughts come to your mind? Are you you like me sometimes? You find yourself going to bed and like, ah, I didn't, even, I didn't even pray throughout my day today. I just kind of ended my day. God, oh, like, do you have rhythms like that? Because I've had seasons in my life when those rhythms exist, and I, I can't tell you the power that comes from just like a day where you're just constantly thinking about God. You see things that you wouldn't normally see. You realize people around you are in need, but in the past you would just walk right by them and never even get to know their name or even see if there was a need you could meet. Opportunities to share the gospel that were completely missed by you before. When you're practicing his presence, you realize, wow, there's an opportunity right in front of me. I didn't see it because the Holy Spirit's saying, of course there is. I'm giving one to you. But you must often just walk your day and you don't even think about me. Simple things, friends. Know God through a consistent daily habit of reading of Scripture and prayer. A chapter a day of Scripture, 15 minutes just reading chapters of Scripture and praying through them is a constant daily habit that I've had for my whole life, and many of you you had. It's absolutely necessary to know God. And lastly, know God through loving others. Our knowing God is an active knowledge because he showed his love for us by dying for us. And we show our knowledge of God by loving one another. And it drives us to action. I'll close with this paragraph, a little uh, verse here from Brother Lawrence. It says, let us occupy ourselves entirely in knowing God. The more we know him, the more we will desire to know him. As love increases with knowledge, the more we know God, the more we will truly love him. We will learn to love him equally in times of distress or in times of great joy. Let us pray. Jesus, um, I pray that uh, 
whatever word that your spirit has spoken to the hearts of those in this room, Lord, that they would take heed and listen, Lord. You are offering all of yourself to us even now, Lord. And I pray that we can find a breakthrough in our relationship with you, Jesus, that, that breakthrough when we, we just are learning just the more areas and the more caverns and holes in our heart that we have not yet released over to you, Lord. Or the people in our life that we have had relationships with for so long that we have not yet taken an obedience to sacrificially love and to share the good news of you with them, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would actively and willingly, Lord, cultivate this relationship we have. That we, we could say that we know you in ways that even a year or two ago that we did not know, Lord. Would you show yourself to us, Jesus? Would you reveal yourself to us, Lord? As we stumble, as we, as we fall in our sin, Lord, you are so gracious to always forgive us and pull us back up, Lord. So, Lord, for those in this room who need to be pulled back up once more, show them your grace, Lord, that you forgive them and that sin is cast away as the east is from the west. Lord, for those in this room who may... Uh, a desire to know you even maybe for the first time that aren't quite sure if they're a Christian, but really after hearing these things in, in past weeks, so they want to be, Lord, that you would help them to make that decision now to so just release themselves over to you, Lord. Say, I need you. I need to turn from my sin. I need you, Lord, to be my God. We love you, Jesus, so much. We pray these things in your name. Amen.